Hi, I'm Paul Jay, and welcome to the Analysis.News podcast. Margaret Prescott is a longtime community-based women's rights, anti-poverty, and anti-racist campaigner. She's the host of the Sojourner Truth, a nationally syndicated drive-time public affairs program on Pacifica radio station KPFK in Southern California. It also airs in many cities across the country. Margaret led the delegations that successfully moved UN resolutions on measuring and valuing unwaged work in the home, on the land, and in the community. She's active with the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. Margaret is the author of Black Women Bringing It All Back Home, based on her experience as an immigrant. She's the mother of one daughter and lives in inner city Los Angeles. Thanks for joining us, Margaret. Yeah, good to be with you, Jay. So in hosting your, your radio show and, and your activism, you get an opportunity not only to understand the movement and know people all across Los Angeles, uh, you also get a chance to talk to activists across the country. So give us a kind of state of the movement report. Well, I'll have to say that this is a very hopeful moment. In fact, I've just been discussing this with a, a number of people. For those of us who have were trained in the civil rights era and who came through the black power movement, you know, the women's movement, etc., we really haven't seen a movement quite like this, like what we're calling the an uprising that's taking place not only across the United States and not only in urban areas, but in places in, in small towns like in Southern Illinois that were former bastions of uh, racist terror, you know, the sundown towns, but also across the world in London, England, in Paris, France, where you had up to 25,000 overwhelmingly black people uh, protesting in, in Paris, uh, saying Black Lives Matter in New Zealand, in, in Australia. Um, the indigenous uh, people of Australia also uh, calling out the racism against them. And on the face of it, two things I want to say on it. One is that the, the direct attack on a state institution that these young people, multiracial, by the way, are saying the demand to defund the police, uh, that's really important to look at and to unpack exactly what that means, because I know it means different things for different people. But if you peel the onion a little bit, you will see that the movement right now, although it's focused, of course, on the horrific uh, police killings and, and watching a murder actually for the world to see, which is what happened with George Floyd and the knee on the neck. Uh, but there's a lot more to it because people have expanded uh, their demands. And even the signs that you'll see on the protests, you'll see a lot of, of course, George Floyd, uh, you know, Rashard Brooks, you'll, you know, Breonna Taylor out of Louisville, Kentucky, the black woman who was killed in, in Louisville, Kentucky, while she was asleep in her bed uh, by the police. But underlying all of that, is a situation where you have a young population, they're facing a future that could be just an environmental disaster. 
you're looking at 400 of the wealthiest uh, residents in the United States now own more wealth than the bottom 64% in the U.S. You're looking at um, the Poor People's Campaign is saying that 140 million uh, people in the U.S., that's 43.5% are either poor or low income. Um, Nearly 41 million living below the the federal poverty line. So when you're looking at, at young people that are facing a future where it's difficult for them to figure out how they're going to get an income. Will they ever be able to buy a house? Do they have to move back in with their parents and all of what that means? The uh, uh, You have a, a White House that, well, on Sojourner Truth, we talk about the man in the White House being the white supremacist in chief. And that has really borne out, uh, not only in the United States, by the way, but uh, globally, when you look at at the fact of, of him having um, the, the man who is extremely conservative um, uh, for an election in Poland uh, within a week, and he gets a look in at the White House, which of course will help him uh, to get reelected. When you look at the relationship that the Trump administration has had with the Israeli government, with Netanyahu, um, and how that has also helped uh, Netanyahu with the troubles he's facing, including charges of corruption there. So when you peel off the onion a bit, you see that it is about um, policing and defunding the police and police accountability. But underneath that, you also hear about the mass incarceration and what's going on inside the prisons. You hear the economic issues, particularly in this time of the pandemic, where you have, what is it, 40 million people in the United States uh, now um, unemployed. So it's not as straightforward as it looks. And uh, we suspect myself and and others that I've been talking to who are involved in the movement is that there will be an effort by the political class and national leaders that are connected to the political class to try to channel this movement into a kind of a single issue movement. But I'm not so sure that that's really going to succeed. But, you know, you never know because movements have... um, come before where we've had a great success. I've been part of some of them. And then there is the, um, there is the blowback and, uh, you know, uh, perhaps we don't know what repression will be coming, but I'm very hopeful, uh, because you're seeing on every sector, um, my daughter, for example, she's a, she's a particle physicist. Okay. Um, one of the, the only black woman in her, in her field, a tenure track position anywhere, not only in the United States, but indeed the world. She was part of an effort um, last week of organizing. They have something called Particles for Justice, and they organized um, a strike for Black lives. And within a few days, they had 8,000 scientists from across the world uh, signing on uh, to their demands and taking a position in support of Black lives and uh, the presidents of universities issuing statements about they have to do more. There has to be more discussion. You know, well, we'll see where that goes because there's been a, a, a lot of discussion on the one hand and on the other hand, not enough. So all I'm saying is that there are a lot of different sectors of people 
um, who are part of this movement and the shifting, the rapid shift. It doesn't seem like it's rapid in public opinion, but remember Michael Brown wasn't that long, um, wasn't that long ago and there were protests and uprisings uh, in Ferguson and beyond Ferguson. But even back then, the majority of people in the United States did not think that policing was a problem. But now the majority do. I think it's something like 56% was the, was the last thing uh, that I saw. And that tells you something. But, you know, you, you, you may agree with this. I mean, just the kind of national, over 100 cities in the U.S. and international uh, outpouring of just horror and anger and uh, the recognition that we do have to address this problem finally, not only in the United States, but the colonial powers in Europe as well. Right. I think there's a, a, a very, I don't know, it's coincidental in a way, uh, the convergence of the pandemic moment with the George Floyd moment. And it's more than just that people don't have to go to school or work and have time to go on the streets, although I think that is a factor. But I think there's something even more important in, in this convergence is every so often something happens that shreds the sort of uh, fabric of the American mythology. I remember during Katrina, there was about two weeks or three weeks where mainstream media was actually talking about class, systemic racism. You know, there's just, you could not deny the photographs of the numbers of black people on top of houses about to float away and the disproportionate effects of the Katrina crisis on people of color, particularly black people and white people who get the hell out. And, and, and after two, three weeks of, of this kind of talk, even some serious talk about climate change during that two, three weeks, it all closed down again. The, that window of, of being able to have a frank conversation about the society. Well, I, I think we're at the same thing. The pandemic, the pandemic has been a real dose of reality that pierces the comfort of denial, the comfort of entertainment culture that allows people that are not in poverty and not in super crisis, which before the pandemic was most people. Now, the dose of reality, the shift in, in how everyone's life is threatened, and, and even most importantly, large sections of the white working class that never dreamed they might be in poverty are heading there and have no sense of what their economic future is. Sections of the working class that never felt economic anxiety now go to sleep thinking they might lose their house and, and, and their kids may not go to college. So, so many things are converging now to give a kind of more realistic sense of things. Um, and it may last for a while because of the deepening economic crisis and this pandemic doesn't seem to be going away. On the other hand, is the movement, is the more conscious sections of the movement. And I, when I use those terms, I, I, I would guess you do too, sections of the movement that have also sort of more socialist kind of vision and objectives, not simply reforming police departments, not that there's anything wrong with dealing with police brutality. Um, what's your sense of that, first of all, in Los Angeles and across the country? Uh, you know, is the movement going to mature? Are there forces within it that we can take advantage of this 
shredding of the mythology? I think there are forces within it that are moving in that direction, certainly, on the one hand. And on the other hand, there are forces that are trying to hold that back. And that's what I meant about trying to keep it focused on this kind of uh, single uh, issue thing. About the pandemic, one of the things about the pandemic that no one could deny is that there was a big discussion, and it's less on people's minds now than perhaps it should be, about the trade-off of the value of human life versus the market. I mean, people were literally discussing, well, if you're over a certain age and we're short of ventilators, doctors are going to have to make the very difficult decision about who's going to get saved and who will die. When you look at who the population of people who are dying, you know, a lot of black people say, hey, watch out because we're dropping like flies. Um, You look at overwhelmingly uh, Black people dying from COVID. Uh, You look at the indigenous communities, the Navajo reservation now, Navajo land, Navajo nation is being ravaged, uh, you know, peaking there and also in parts of, of New Mexico. So you see Black and brown people dying. And then there's a whole big discussion about, well, what, what, why is that? Is it because, you know, and some people in the Trump administration said, well, if they just live healthier lifestyles, uh, right? But clearly there are a lot of underlying um, illnesses and, and conditions, which I have, you know, that, that impacts me. And uh, there have been uh, people uh, close uh, who have actually died from COVID in, in New York City. I know of two Black women um, who have died, one uh, closer uh, than, than the other. But there's now a big conversation going on and public health people, black public health specialists are now have an opportunity to speak a lot more about the interrelationship with white supremacy, with day-to-day racism and the emotional and physical impact that that then has on on people like when you see a police officer and your your blood pressure goes up you start sweat you know for no apparent reason because you haven't done anything but because of that relationship you don't know is this going to turn into a confrontation where I'm going to die or your children walk out the door and you don't know you just pray or whatever that they're going to get come home in one piece uh, so there is that worry of mothers worry of parents and then there's the conversation that you have to have with your children. So uh, I'm saying all of that to say that it can't possibly be, when you look at the reality of it, that all of this can be boiled down to one particular thing like police abuse. Because when you unpack why are indigenous people dying in such numbers now? Why are uh, black people in the United States dying at some number, such numbers in contrast to their white counterparts? So all kinds of information is now beginning to emerge more and more about the economic disparity, for example, and what that has to do with the, um, the physical condition uh, that, uh, that people are in. And uh, you know, then there is the a movement like the Poor People's Campaign that isn't quite on the radar of mainstream media right now. But I could tell you, they had an event this 
passed on, on June 20th uh, that was live streamed. And the numbers were something like close to 2.5 to 3 million people uh, watched that live stream. That, that's amazing. I, I've never heard of a live stream that did those numbers. That did those numbers. Would you believe this? I mean, on Facebook alone, ABC was saying that on Facebook alone, it was 1.5 million people. And then it was streamed in a whole set of other places. That tells you something. And the reason it tells you something is that is not a single issue movement. That is a movement that is multiracial, that is urban and rural, that have built um, centers in 46 states right? Not only in in rural areas. And they refuse to focus on one particular thing. They say, we are focusing on these pillars of evil, racism, poverty, the war economy, ecological devastation, and what they call the distorted moral narrative. Jay, I have to tell you, uh, this I haven't seen a movement quite like this one, uh, older and younger people, and growing. Because after the success of June 20th, as you could imagine, all kinds of people are flocking to that. What that tells you is that people really want to be together. They don't want to be divided one from each other because there is the recognition that in order to save the environment, in order to stop the, the, the police brutality, in order for 60,000 people not to be homeless in the city of Los Angeles, just the city of Los Angeles each and every night, close to 60,000 people homeless on the street increasing numbers of them, single mothers and their children. I mean, this is the United States. This is supposed to be the the world's richest country or whatever. And this is what is going on inside. On the, res, the, the Navajo um, land, some people have to drive 20 miles to just get water, right? People just can't believe this. I mean, their eyeballs get really big when you, tell, you describe these kinds of conditions in the United States. So all I'm saying is that there is that militant movement on the street for black lives. And then you have something at the same time building up the Poor People's Campaign and a, a national call for moral revival that has that great history going back to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who called the first Poor People's Campaign. It was that at that moment, a few months later, that he was shot and killed. Um, And there's an overlap with those movements. So, Jay, there is something going on. And I think the the train is out of the station, as they say. I think it'll be very difficult right now. They are trying. There's a lot of repression on the street of the protesters, as you may have seen. Um, People listening to this podcast uh, may have seen the, uh, you know, the tear gas and and just the sheer brutality of of the police, including the 75-year-old man in in, um, Buffalo, New York, that was shoved down by the police. And then uh, 45 just said, the man in the White House said, well, he just fell hard because he He's really uh, Antifa or some right. such nonsense. So all I'm saying is that there is uh, th- there's a lot to this moment and the fact that it is a global um, movement right now. But, Jay, that doesn't mean right. that it can't 
um, it can't be undermined because the danger that I see, and I, just by way of a criticism, okay, of what is happening now, a danger that I see because I am an immigrant and I am part of a global women's network, we focus on global issues, is that movements in the United States tend to be centered on themselves. They tend to be centered on the United States and not really looking or finding the ways to connect what the U.S. taxpayer dollars what it's doing in Haiti, what it's doing in Latin America, what it's doing in, in, in Bolivia with that coup that happened against Evo Morales there, what it's doing on, on the continent of, of Africa. And that is a complaint that people in, in, in Haiti and, and other places who are feeling the, 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 who are suffering under the boot of the United States, where the United States, because of their military and economic power, have their knee on the necks of people, so many people around the world. And that may be what you're getting to in terms of how advanced this movement will be, because the the movement here will have to, in order to grow and mature, be able to really make these kinds of international connections, not only in analysis, but also in a practical way. When I was in Baltimore, you know, I lived there for eight years. I was there during the Freddie Gray uprising. Um, the, the black activists on the whole, um, not everyone, but a lot, really had no hope of, of an alliance or, uh, with white working class. Even though uh, when the demonstrations broke out, literally thousands of white students left universities and colleges and joined in. Some of the biggest protests in Baltimore had more white students than than black youth, although certainly the black youth are the ones that led and were in, that really spontaneously rose up. Um, but has this changed? Uh, you can see whole sections of white society. I don't even like using that word because it's as if there's some homogeneous white society, but I guess to some extent there is. Um, uh, uh, many sections of, of society that have never would have supported these kinds of protests are. And then I'm wondering, particularly the NASCAR uh, thing with, with, with Bubba Wallace, there's a twist in the story today. Apparently, the FBI says the noose that was found in his garage or where, whatever it was, uh, it turns out it was been there for quite some time and it was used to pull a door closed or something that was mistaken as a noose that was put there. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what the FBI is saying. But it doesn't matter because the outpouring of support for Bubba, uh, his car driving down the racetrack and all the drivers around it and like parading in support of him, it, it, it's significant, I think, I thought, uh, given the kind of constituency everyone thinks is is <laughs> with NASCAR. Has, has all of this affected the way uh, black activists, particularly younger ones, look at the possibilities for a broader, more inclusive movement? I, I think so, um, Jay. And prior to this particular iteration, this particular uprising, 
a number of us were very worried about the mixing up of autonomy and separatism um, as young people are finding their way. You know what I mean? It's not like there was a whole civil rights movement, black power movement, et cetera, that they came out of. But if you look at just the past years, you know, the Trump administration, the Obama administration before that, uh, the, the, the Bush uh, era, Clinton, et cetera. Um, so I, I, I do, I see a shift in that because there were moments that, uh, People felt, oh my God, you know, the the understanding of autonomy, which is our right as women or our right as people of color, our right as people with disabilities or LGBTQ to uh, have our own voice and have our own organizations, that that started to get, at least on the Black side, uh, mixed up with, well, we just can't organize with white people. We just can't have anything to do with white people. And there are a number of us who are old enough to remember that, (laughs) to remember a similar uh, debate going on. I think now I sense a shift in that with this movement. And I, I I think that there's a lot more understanding and analysis actually. There's a there's an underlying anti-capitalist sentiment. I, I suppose that's how I would put it. Um, and if you understand that capitalism is a problem that props up these divisions, props up white supremacy, uses it um, for its you know own purposes. That's a, a, a kind of a different mindset when you are then alongside a white protester or white people coming out to stand uh, for black lives. It's it's a different. Uh, it's even different from the civil rights era when you had um, you know that movement going on, although there were certainly anti-capitalist aspects of that movement, including Martin Luther King himself, who was really a socialist, and a number of people in the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, uh, for example. And then there were some who just wanted to make capitalism better. And if you look at for example, I was talking to a young woman from Atlanta today uh, from an organization called Song, and she was m- making a pretty stark criticism of um, Keisha Lance Bottoms, who is auditioning to be on the the VP ticket uh, with with Biden. She, this is she's the mayor of Atlanta. She's the mayor, of, yeah, Keisha Lance Bottoms, mayor of Atlanta. Sorry about that. And talking about how Atlanta was seen as a, a, this black capitalist mecca. And she was the one that um, when the protest broke out, when Richard was killed and spoke, I'm a mother and I have a black sons. She's black. And I, you know, the first thing I do is call my son to see where he is. And she gives this whole spiel. And then she talks about how in Atlanta, you're not supposed to be out there, quote unquote, rioting, right? That's not Atlanta. And that if you love Atlanta, she you basically told the protesters to go home, right? And then there was, of course, great repression against the protesters. And this stuff doesn't sit too well. It's not like, well, she's black and we're going to give her a pass, right? A lot of people gave Obama a pass uh, for that reason. So I do think that the, the, the mindset, the analysis, the awareness has deepened um, that opens up the possibility. And I'm not talking about kumbaya and we're all going to come together and forget about the differences, et cetera. But people 
people are really finding their way to figuring out how from an autonomous base you can work to build a movement that is multiracial and is much more inclusive without giving up the the, the specifics of, of your own uh, situation. Well, you're saying the you're saying the poor people's campaign is doing that. The poor people's campaign is doing that, and I I have to say something too about women because this is another issue in the movement. You will notice that a lot of the focus has been on the police killings of black men. Now, Breonna Taylor, of course, uh, people have um, you know have integrated her into the protests as well. Uh, but you know, when you look at what is happening with the women, and when you look at what happened with COVID. It was the mothers, it were the, the, the women in the home who were the frontline workers. And when you look at the black community and the indigenous communities that were Latinx, Latinx communities that were so hard hit, it was the women in those families that were really on the front lines trying to save lives, trying to heal people, trying to figure out how the family was going to survive now that the, you know people were laid off and, and that kind of thing. And there's a way in which in, in, in the Poor People's Campaign, they did make um, a stride in relation to women because the, one of the complaints about the Poor People's Campaign is that they haven't been strong enough to recognize the centrality of the work that women do, the centrality of the work of mothers who, after all, create the entire well, everybody, not just the working class, right? And and re- reproduce everybody. Uh, but this um, on on June twentieth, the Poor People's Campaign came out with some really forward looking demands, including um, they they are demanding a care income to recognize the economic contribution of routine housework, childcare, tending to the elderly and other household or non-household members and other unpaid activities related to household maintenance. This is the language coming from the Poor People's Campaign. It's not coming from the Global Women's Strike, the network that I'm associated with, right? Um, although it's definitely something that we have been pushing. And and I, I think there is that weakness. I see that on the street where like all of we are one, we're going to focus on the police attacks on, on black men. So where are the black women? What is happening to the black women and what is happening to women generally? And I think that if the movement doesn't really address that and realize that what happens in your home, whether it's the domestic violence that has gone up, shot up around the world as a result of the pandemic, or it, it or black women who are victims of serial murders by black men that nobody wants to talk about because it's not the police, or indigenous, the missing and murdered uh, indigenous women, you know, it's 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 much more straightforward to go and attack. You know, if it's a direct police shooting, than if it is the devaluation, the ways, the myriad ways of the devaluation of black lives, including black women's lives, going way back from, uh, you know, 
centuries now, and we see that continuum. And I do think the movement, they're going to have to address that issue because if you're not dealing with the, the, the reality of what's happening with the women, the demands that the women have, the situ- the power relations between the women and the men, not only in the household, but in the movement in and of itself, that will hold us back. And that's why I was so excited when out of the, not out of the blue, people worked out of it. There's this thing called the Green New Deal for Europe. I don't know if it's being discussed in, in, in Canada, but turns out it's not only for Europe. And what they're saying as part of bringing together a fusion demand against poverty, but also for the environment, they put forward a care income for the caring of people and also for those who are caring for the environment. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And we did take that to the Poor People's Campaign, that demand. And that's how that care income demand got in there. It's a fusion demand. And I'm really very, very hopeful about it as that movement is growing in many places around the world. So there there are different aspects of it that the movement has got to grapple with, Um, you know, some of which I talked about before, but also so the what is happening with the women and what's happening to trans women. People like to clump all trans people together. And the women are saying, look, uh, a lot of the trans um, people who are being killed are trans women, a lot of them who are sex workers. So there, there, there's a lot that we have to work out. But Jay, I really see things moving very, very quickly. The young people are really, they're really getting it in a way that perhaps even the, um, the millennial generation, you know, a lot of these are Generation Z, <laughs> a lot of the millennials um, weren't as, um, didn't move as quickly as this particular grouping. If if we, meaning we the people, aren't able to force, in all likelihood, this coming Biden government, and if we the people aren't able to stop the Democratic Party from trying to not just convert the movement into a single issue, well, the single issue they're going to try to convert it into is defeating Trump. And while I don't doubt that we do need to do that, um, if the if the party that takes power is the party of Chuck Schumer and Rahm Emanuel and all the corporate Democrats, which is very possible, if if we the people, if this movement doesn't mature enough to be able to keep up its steam after Biden wins and make demands that include forcing that administration to actually deal with climate change, to actually deal with poverty, to actually reduce the Pentagon budget and and so on. Uh, We have so little time left, particularly on the question of climate. Um, We're kind of doomed. And this movement's maturing quickly, I agree, and, and there's really interesting shifts taking place in, in broader public opinion. But there needs, I think, this movement needs to get focused as well on this big picture, which includes, for example, breaking the power of finance. Uh, some kind of banking is a public utility. Uh, and, and these all sounds like demands that are so 
unachievable. Let's try to get step by step. Uh, the problem is we're, we're in a time frame now because of climate particularly where this kind of step by step, more incremental growth, like there's no time for. Um, so is, are th- and, and, and I think it's, it's, it's you know, it's, I don't know how else to say this. It's almost incumbent on the black leadership who are rising out of this moment to take up these bigger issues because this is where the motion is. This is where the, the you know, it's not nothing new. I, it was the same thing with the civil rights movements in the 60s that, that gave rise to the movement in all the other parts of society. Um, and is that, I know there's lots of socialist uh, black groups of all kinds all over the country, um, but that's kind of the problem. There's, there's, there's other than the poor people's campaign, I'm not even sure what there is that has a national presence, um, and and we so badly need a broad front that takes up all of these in specific demands you were talking about. For example, the ones to do with women. And all the other issues that are being talked about, but has to really take up, you know, the big issues because like we're just out of time. Yeah, we we, we are out of time. And on on the whole thing about we had better hope that it's a Biden presidency and it's not another four years of Trump. Well, if it is, we're fucked. <laughs> okay, um, so let's not go there. I mean, <laughs> big time. But in terms of how much the movement will be able to mature, grow and move forward, in some ways will depend on the level of repression that is coming. Because there is going to be undermining and repression against this movement. And there is the 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 Republican style repression. And then there's the Democratic Party style repression. But either way, there will be moves to contain, to corrupt, and to undermine this movement. And I can't tell you how worried I am. Everybody right now, and I know money is needed, funding is needed uh, to be able to organize, but all kinds of money now being thrown at the movement. And if you don't have your head screwed on right, if you don't have your principles um, in, in order, that is extremely corrupting because that is a way to get people fighting over money, who's going to be paid what, who gets what, what organization gets what, um, and, and you get the NGO industrial complex coming in. I mean, let's not even talk about the political class on that level. Yeah, we saw we saw this in Ferguson. We saw it in Baltimore. Yeah, it's it's a very uh, you know on, in in the name of supporting, it's very sinister. We see it even in alternative media. We see it in alternative media where moves, uh, you know, being made against alternative media, you know, moving it in in that direction. So how um, this movement responds to that coming repression, how they respond to the NGO industrial complex, because you have all kinds of people running around with organizations that have the right rhetoric, maybe saying the right thing, but 
their aim and goal may not be the same thing as the the grassroots struggle you know that started out in 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 a in going in a particular way so i think that has a lot to do with it like whoever is in the white house so to speak and we certainly hope it's not another four years of trump because the the first people that are going to pay the highest price for that are going to be p- people like in haiti and in the most impoverished parts of the world as well obviously um in in the United States. So the international repercussions are maddening. People say um, they don't get to vote for the president of the United States, but then they're subjected to the policies of the United States. So I, 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 you know, we, we don't have a crystal ball to see, you know, how this is going to go. But I think there is a lot of an awareness that the planet is in deep, deep, deep trouble and that we may have already passed the <laughs> the point of no return. And uh, there's a lot of frustration of young people uh, to, you know, the um, to the the boomers, you know, the Me Too boomers is like, you all screwed this thing up, right? And now we are are left to to live with it and have to uh, clean up that mess. So, Jay, I am hopeful. I really am hopeful that even though we're still looking at how all of this is going to play out and how people are going to be able to find their way uh, to each other, how they're going to be able to deal um, with the repression uh, that will happen. I mean, my cousin, Martha Preska, she was down in Mississippi, you know what I mean, in a church. She was in SNCC, one of the SNCC women, where a few of them were in a church surrounded by a pack of clanners with guns ready to kill them, right? And they lost a lot of people. We don't know how many bodies are at the bottom of the Mississippi. It's it's horrible to even talk about it in, in that way. Uh, but we have to be, you know, look at, look at the massacre that are happening now in Haiti, where the Haitian people are trying to throw off, you know, finalize the revolution they started so very long ago and are are meeting repression after repression after repression when they get a little view of democracy. If you look at the slaughter going now on the streets of Haiti, I mean, it makes what happened uh, to Rashard, what happened to George Floyd look like a picnic where people are being massacred and burned alive and left to be eaten by the pigs on the street. I mean, I hate to describe this stuff, but I've seen it. I was there. You know that it is happening, right? That is that is how horrible um, the 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 things can become. And we hope there certainly isn't a bloodbath um, going on that that will happen in the United States. But I I, I do think that. I hate to say it, but likely there is a repression to come and it could look, uh, it could come with a friendly face or it could be as crass as Trump. But either way, people have to be prepared for it. They have to understand that what we're up against isn't any joking matter. It's a huge uh, job trying to save the environment, trying to save the planet, trying to stop racism. And there are going to be a lot of resources uh, being put in the way of stopping that from happening. 
causing divisions between Latinx and black people and all kinds of nonsense they're going to they're going to try so we really have to have our heads screwed on right and i'm really glad to see that you jay with the history you've had in in journalism and the work that you're doing that you're doing this kind of work because um that is is a really important voice because it can't just be what we see on mainstream television or or mainstream media. Um, you know these kinds of podcasts, the the kind of alternative work that still media work that some people are still trying to uh, trying to do, including Pacifica with with all of its problems. That's that is going to be really critical, and I'm always encouraged when I. Uh, run into young people or whatever. They say, oh, you know, my mom used to, when it was driving me to school, because I'm on the air early in the morning, drive time, and she would make me listen to KPFK, but then they got into it, right? And 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 literally thank you for, for all that they have learned uh, just from uh, the kind of work, Paul, you do and the work others of us try to do. So all we can do is really do our best to get the truth out, um, to do our best to expose the ways in which they're trying to divide us, and to do our best to be truthful within ourselves, each and every one of us, uh, to see how the state has got into us in our relationships with each other um, across the divides, and do that daily work, do that daily work of what we must do. Because, Jay, if we don't do that work, if we, if I think the climate work and the the environmental work is absolutely critical, right? Because that's all of us. This is our home. This planet is our home, and we must do what we can to to save it. So I think that the the fusion uh, demand of the care income for the caring of people and the environment, and the work of the Poor People's Campaign, and this young movement of this uh, generation Z, as they would say in English or Z, as they would say here in the UK, um, really cutting through and moving a lot faster than earlier generations gives gives us hope. So I think the I think the the what do you call it? I think the the root is there. I think the spark is there. I think the energy is there, and it's a question of how we are going to face off because it's going to be a face-off. We're facing off now, but we're going to have to do a hell of a lot more facing off if we're going to get out of this mess. And this earth is going to be able to sustain us in the way that it has for so long. Thanks so much. And if you want to hear more of Margaret, which after this, I'm sure you will. um, As I said, she's the host of Sojourner Truth, which is a nationally syndicated uh, Pacifica show. Um, if you don't have it in your wherever you are, and I know our, our Canadian uh, listeners here probably don't, uh, you can go to the KPFK website, and I'm sure you can listen to it and download it there. And we're on SoundCloud, Jay. We have actually quite a wide international li- listenership on SoundCloud, including in Canada. <laughs> Thanks so much for doing this, Myra. Thank you so much, Jay. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this on air, but I'm going to talk to you more after. I'd like to do this as a regular gig. So every few weeks we should catch up and maybe bring another guest in with us. Yeah, that should be fun. <laughs> so thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.news podcast. <laughs>